Hello there, I'm Craig Dixon and welcome to this episode of the Budo Etc. podcast. In this episode, I'm going to look at what I call the myth of 10,000 hours to mastery. Now this is something that I hear from time to time as almost a stock answer to the question of how long does it take to get good at Budo? And it seems to be worryingly becoming almost conventional thinking. So I'll look at where this myth has come from and why I think the literal thinkers might have got this wrong. Now, if you study martial arts or Eastern philosophy or martial strategy for long enough, you'll notice that the number 10,000 crops up quite a bit. There is frequent use, usually symbolic, of the number 10,000 in lots of Oriental writing. So the 10,000 things, for example, is a common phrase found in Taoist and Buddhist writings to refer to the material diversity of the universe. Famous Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu, for example, writes in the Tao Te Ching, Tao produced the one, the one produced the two, the two produced the three, and the three produced the 10,000 things. And it's not just in the martial arts or in classical Eastern studies that you will stumble upon the number 10,000 frequently. It's actually in pretty common usage in various East Asian languages, even today. So, for example, the phrase 10,000 years is used to wish long life in several cultures. Now, certainly, if you're a product of the 1970s, like me, you will be old enough to remember Mr. Miyagi's cry of Banzai in the movie that spawned 10,000 McDojo's Karate Kid. Banzai, for those that don't know, is a traditional Japanese exclamation meaning long life or 10,000 years. It doesn't mean cheers, that's kampai. Banzai, it was allegedly, although there doesn't seem to be any real evidence that the romanticised portrayal of this is actually true, uh, it was said to be adopted as a battle cry during World War II by Japanese kamikaze pilots who were said to have been encouraged to shout it as they rammed their planes into enemy ships. We do know that it was adopted with certainty, uh, because contemporaneous records tell us that's the case, by Japanese infantry units in World War II uh, ahead of attacking charges, and it became known as the Banzai Charge in the West. So in modern usage, it has become more of a general exclamation closer to yay or hurrah, and it's even still used in some of the formalities associated with Japanese politics, for example, or when a new emperor takes the throne. But a little closer to Budo, we still find multiple references to this magic number of 10,000. And there are numerous to be found in Miyamoto Masashi's Gori no Sho, with two of the famous ones, or two of the most famous ones, being from one thing, no 10,000 things, and it takes 1,000 days to forge the spirit, and 10,000 days to polish it. And in fact, Bruce Lee nabbed this last one and adapted it by varying the theme slightly for his own probably most famous quote, which is, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Now, the main point here, of course, is that in none of these examples does it literally mean 10,000. Whether the 
modern vernacular as an exclamation or the metaphorical use in historical writings. So even where it's used as a shorthand for very, very many, nobody is literally wishing someone or expecting them to, say, actually live for 10,000 years. And that brings me to the point of this podcast, I guess, because I hear fairly frequently, and I've certainly heard on a number of occasions over the years, instructors, teachers say with total conviction that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to master the martial arts or a martial art. And in the context in which I've heard it said, they weren't using it metaphorically. And that got me wondering why that might be and how this concept of it being a fixed 10,000 hours to mastery has made its way into fairly common usage. So I'll use that last nugget of wisdom from Musashi to draw this theme out a little. So that was that it takes a thousand days to forge the spirit and 10,000 days to polish it. And I think that is something that translates well across into the context of skill acquisition as well as polishing of the spirit. But let's look at the practicalities of this. So for anybody who's not willing to do the maths for themselves, this would mean 125 days practicing eight hours per day to forge the spirit, or in our case, learn the technique, which doesn't sound so bad, I guess. But then to polish it, so to attain mastery, this would mean eight hours practice every day for around three and a half years with no breaks, no holidays, no weekends off and no job, presumably. Now, it's quite a bit longer, but even then, in the big scheme of things, maybe that's not too bad if, at the end of it all, I'm going to be some kind of unassailable Budo master. And if that were the case, then maybe I'd just get one of those war calendars and start putting crosses in the box every day, knowing that using this theoretical calculation that there would be a precise date in the future where I would be a master. Perfect. I'll label that as my mastery day and once achieved I'll celebrate it every year like I do my birthday. Obviously that's a bit tongue-in-cheek but it does really I think highlight the absurdity of thinking that there can be some kind of mathematical formula for success in Budo. So why is it then that these statements stick as they do? And in particular, the notion that there is a fixed 10,000 hours to mastery. I think that one reason, in our example, might be the popularity of the 2008 book Outliers, The Story of Success by Malcolm Gladwell. Now in this book, Gladwell tries to explain through science and psychology what it is that makes some individuals more successful at something than others. And one of the key concepts that he outlines in his book is the 10,000 hour rule. Now the 10,000 hour rule, according to Gladwell, is based on research conducted by Dr. K. Anders Ericsson of Florida State University. But it's that expert level performance takes, on average, 10,000 hours of 
deliberate practice to achieve. Now, the book Outliers was incredibly successful. It hit the non-fiction bestsellers lists worldwide. So perhaps it's not a huge surprise, given the frequency of occurrence of 10,000 as some kind of enumerating factor in Eastern cultures, that suddenly the 10,000 hours to mastery rule and myth became assumed wisdom in terms of the prescribed level of commitment required to master a martial art or budo concept. Now you can probably tell from my tone in this podcast already that I'm more than slightly skeptical of this particular premise. Yes, it's a good headline, it's a good title, and it's quite close to what we would call clickbait these days. But there are just far too many influencing variables, in my view, for there to be a simple equation of 10,000 hours practice equals mastery to stack up. And to be fair to Gladwell, he does say on average, but even that's a stretch. My first real issue with this is just how demoralizing and demotivating that could be to those in their early stages of their Budo journeys looking to make progress, if it were true. So assuming that most people simply can't commit themselves to back-to-back years of arduous training at least eight hours a day, when you take the mathematics and extrapolate it out from something closer to what a normal practitioner might do, it really starts to stretch. So even someone able to train for two solid hours twice a week would find their aspirations for mastery, and I'm using my podcast air quotes fairly judiciously here, their aspirations would be managed outwards to around 48 years until they were to reach their goals. And of course, in reality, that would be more than 50 years when taking into account life essentials like vacations, eating, sleeping and everything else. Now, it's also, on the face of it, doesn't stack up when you look at the roots and the timing to mastery of some of our most venerable martial arts founders. Jigoro Kano was in his 20s when he founded Judo, and while he had studied a number of different arts in his youth, and there may have been an aggregating of time, he also went to school, he studied at university, he had a number of jobs in education, so time was limited. And you look at Kano's contemporary Gichin Fundakoshi, who was in his 30s when he was already venturing from Okinawa to mainland Japan, promoting karate as effectively its figurehead at that point. And given that we've used him as an example already here, beyond Japanese Budo, Bruce Lee had achieved mastery, uh, if you want to call it that, um, in that he'd developed his own martial art, Jeet Kune Do, and had had a successful Hollywood and Hong Kong film career by the time of his untimely death at 32. Now, I'm well aware, of course, that many people would simply make the case that these were all truly exceptional people with exceptional talents, and therefore they must be considered to be the exceptions that almost prove the rule. But the inherent 
problem, as I see it, is the premise itself. That it is possible to quantify by some kind of simple equation of effort applied times time spent to mastery. Because fundamentally, I think this is at odds with the spirit of Budo. Now, there are simply too many factors in my mind to take into account. So, not least the definition of what expert level or martial arts master uh, might be. And they're entirely subjective. And in fact, they're quite personal. There just isn't a universal martial arts measure against which we can test this theory. We know, for example, that black belts are a terrible measure uh, in terms of a standard of acquisition of skill, because they're not always reflective of skill levels. And clearly not all black belts are of equal or equivalent standard. Nor, of course, are the various Budo arts directly comparable with each other either. But on that basis, subjective tests clearly don't help us, but neither do objective tests when it comes to mastery in Budo or any other skill for that matter. If you took a combat-focused art with a self-protection focused, then the test is really, does the person have enough skill to deal with a particular situation at the time at which it arises? And clearly that's something which most sensible people would hope never to have to test. But even if you stretch the question to more sports-oriented arts, we also see that they tend to be producing tournament winners in their youth, and in those instances, clearly the simple availability of hours during shorter lifetimes can't be present. And the other thing which strikes me as being slightly anti the argument for 10,000 hours being a magic number is the practical reality of the history of our arts. Now, given that the majority of Budo arts have their roots in or in preparation for the battlefields of feudal Japan, or in the case of karate, the the need to use or develop skills for personal self-defense, then it must stand to reason that skills would need to be acquired pretty quickly and pretty effectively in order to be combat ready in any kind of useful time frame. So in the same way that we don't train our troops in the modern era military for decades and decades on end before we put them into action, the same has to have been true in a historical context. So the objective of a Wujutsu school in the past, certainly in warring eras, by any logical assessment must therefore have been focused more towards the acquisition of a minimum basic skill level as quickly as possible over perfection to mastery. So what does all this mean, save that we're probably already comparing apples and oranges here. Does it mean that Musashi was wrong? Do I think that his assertion that it takes 1,000 hours to forge and then 10,000 hours to polish is utter nonsense? Well, actually, no, I don't. I think Musashi was right on the money with this. But I tend to look at what he's telling us without the constraint of literal interpretation shackling. So why do I think that? Well, first, we need to look at these 
pieces of historical wisdom in their historical context, rather than just assuming that we can supplant them into our contemporary Budo and lives as they were originally conceived. So languages change, as do meanings. And this is a really good example because there were actually entirely different words and symbols for 10,000 in use throughout the course of the development of the Japanese language. In old Japanese, yorodu was the modern equivalent to what we would now use for 10,000. And way back then, it was almost universally used to mean myriad or very many. And secondly, it's very clear to me from all of the examples I've mentioned, and I haven't mentioned all of those examples available by any stretch, that 10,000 hours is simply a linguistic metaphor for a very long time indeed. And it was never meant to be taken as anything that could be used for precision forecasting. Thirdly, and I think this is probably the most important point to, to my mind, trying to quantify the time investment required is a red herring anyway. If we're so focused on the time that it will take to achieve something, and the amount of times I've been asked over the years from a beginner how long it will take for them to become a black belt, then, again, I think we're entirely missing the point of Budo. And it's that last point that I want to really try and get across here, because I think the current and growing trend of time to success or quick fix hypnosis in Budo is really unhealthy for our arts. Now, there are still many, many schools out there, and you've only got to look on the internet or social media or advertisements online anywhere that promise quick routes to success or promotion. Become a black belt in six classes. There's lots of promises of shortcuts to mastery, which I think is one of the major challenges for us as Budoka to overcome in the future, if our arts are to remain relevant and to be sustainable. Now, the problem with Budo, although in my view it's the beauty of it, is that it takes a very, very long time and a very, very large amount of effort to perfect. And in fact, very few people, if any, ever do. And that's the point. Now, I think there are actually two really important lessons in what Musashi says. The surface level one, which I hope is evident to most intelligent people, is that you just have to put in the hours. You have to invest some actual sweat equity and effort in order to get good at anything. And there is nowhere more true than in the martial arts for that to be the case. But the second lesson is the one that I think gets sadly lost by many students and teachers, which is that it's not just about time spent. It's the quality of the practice in that time spent that is really important. At a really fundamental level, training absolute garbage for 10,000 hours would just make you very, very good at being not very good. Now, there's always nuance with these things. Of course, there is. But when you look at 
effectiveness or quality or you know, what we would class as good budo. Now, especially those that promise, say, effective, usable self-protection. Those things, to my mind, need to be quickly learnable at a basic level. Now, as with those who were preparing for the historical battlefields, it's no good to anyone to have to wait for year upon year of practice to develop some skill that is ultimately going to be of use. Now, the last thing that I would want for one of my students is for them to find themselves lacking in a situation where they need to draw upon particular skills that they don't have simply because they haven't got to that particular point in the syllabus yet. So by no means do my red belts, and red belts being the first Q grade for the system that I teach, they don't think that they're martial arts masters immediately. Of course they don't. But by the time they've achieved their first belt, I'm confident that they will have some pretty useful tools in their toolkit and will have laid the foundations of things they can then go to and build upon as they progress. And it's that subsequent progression from basic good core skill acquisition, again, in my view, that Masashi is really talking about. And that's where the truth that sits behind the myth of 10,000 hours to mastery really starts to come out. He says that it's the first 1,000 hours, or in modern vernacular, a good early quality time investment, is where the core skills are developed. But that it's the next 10,000 hours, which again we can substitute for a very long time indeed, is where everything takes place that is needed to build towards mastery. And the key there, though, is this concept of polishing technique in the later stages. So we're not talking about 10,000 hours of new skill gathering. We're actually talking about training what we have learned in those first 1,000 hours very well, repeatedly, with good form and good focus, so that over time, time being undefined, they might become polished. So to draw this episode to a close then, I'll try and summarise why I continue to call it the myth of 10,000 hours to mastery. So first, in Chinese and Japanese, 10,000 is simply the concept of the largest numerical order of magnitude in common language usage. And it should be thought of as myriad or infinitely large number and nothing more specific. It is a metaphor. Secondly, focusing on how long something will take, or worse, how long it will take to get there more quickly, is entirely counterproductive. And in my view, that's totally at odds with the spirit and the method of skill acquisition within Budo, both modern and traditional or classical. And thirdly, time spent is important But the really important thing is the quality of that time spent in both acquiring the initial core skills and thereafter in the refining and the polishing of them. So I hope this episode has been of interest. And as always, I'd be really keen to hear your views. And I assume this is something that you may agree or disagree on or think something else entirely. But before I go, finally, just a big thank you again from me for 
all of the support and encouragement and of course to those listening to this podcast i've been really surprised and naturally really pleased at how many people have been listening to the first few episodes right across the world which is great and you know that makes it worthwhile producing them and putting the time into to making them happen on the wider budo etc front there are a few exciting things coming in november so we'll be doing what we're calling a soft launch of the budo etc website and we'll be a bit more active on socials now that basically means that some of those things will go live but there'll be limited content to start with and we'll continue to build that over time but again really keen to hear from you please feel free to get in touch either with suggestions just to say hello share thoughts or especially if you have an idea for a future podcast or research piece or some of the thought leadership work that we're doing through Budo etc so you can follow us on instagram and we're at Budo etc you can also get in touch with us through direct message that way um, please do follow the journey be really good to to hear from you and from november you'll also be able to go to the website uh, the link for which will be in the instagram bio when it's ready to go and i'll add it to the notes for this podcast as well now that's probably it for this episode i hope you've enjoyed this i hope it's been thought-provoking and i look forward to seeing you next time mm-hmm.